Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It's The Late Show Poncho with Stephen Colbert. Tonight, it is my honor to sit down with the man from Scranton who made good. Please welcome the next president of the United States, Joseph R. Biden. Sir, thanks, thanks so much for sitting down with me today. Well, thanks. I always enjoy being with you. Thank you. For, and thank you for making a trip down to Wilmington, Delaware. It's always nice talking to you, too. I've had the opportunity, and I've enjoyed talking to you on camera and off several times over the last 10 years now, the first time I interviewed you. But now you have a new job. You are about to be the most powerful person in the world. And my job to talk about what's going on in the world. What is President Biden going to put into the world? Hopefully, we're going to, uh, when I ran, I said, Stephen, really early on, that the next president is going to inherit two things, a nation divided and a world in disarray. And in the world at large, we've got to say America's back. America's back. We keep our commitments to our allies. We know the difference between our adversaries and our friends. Uh, and uh, the Americans, so I've been already, I've spoken to I've calls from 25, 26 world leaders, uh, and uh, we're uh, America's back, number one. Number two, uh, you know, the, uh, I think the nation, and I don't think I'm kidding myself, I got criticized in the beginning for saying this, I think the nation is looking for us to be united, much more united. We don't have to have this kind of, this politics has become so sort of dirty and vicious and personal and mean, and clenched fist instead of an open hand. And I think people are looking for us to come together. When we spoke in May, I asked you if you were going to beat this guy, I believe is how I put it. And you said, yes, I am. And it's beginning to look pretty good for you. The odds are pretty good that, that you're going to beat him at this point. Do you take it personally at all, the no. Republicans who haven't acknowledged your win? No, look, they're in a tough spot. I know everybody says, well, they should just step up. How can I say this? A number of them sent messages to me four weeks ago. Give me time, Joe. Give me some time. It's fine by me. It's fine by me. We won. We won Georgia three times. <laughs> no, but, but all kidding aside, look, it's a, it's a tough spot. Um, but you well, understand the spot they're in? I do. But, but because you understand it, you also have to understand how futile the spot is for them to resist the reality of the electoral culture. Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham, a friend of yours, he has said things about you nicer than anything has any been said about me. I wish somebody would say the things about me that Lindsey Graham said about you. Do you think you guys can patch it up and work together? Lindsey's been a... Uh a personal disappointment because I was a personal friend of his. Um, and, uh, but look, I don't think, uh, I think that, uh, I think I can work with the Republican leadership in the House and the Senate. I think we can get things done. And, uh, and I think once this president is 
no longer in office. Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see his impact on the body politic fade. And a lot of these Republicans are going to feel they have much more room to, uh, to run and cooperate. The, the first time you and I ever uh, spoke together was on the old show. And it was in 2010. And I asked you a question in character, but it left a real impression on me what your answer was. The administration has got some critique, some criticism from me and my conservative friends that you have not given enough credit to President Bush. Would you like to take this opportunity right now to look over Mr. there and President, say, thank Mr. you. Mr. President, thank you. You've honored these guys, you've honored these women, you've honored these troops, and I've known you your entire eight years as president. I've never known a time when you didn't care about what happened. We disagreed on policy. You deserve a lot of credit, Mr. President. Mr. President, I never disagreed with your policy. <laughs> well, I, the, the thing I liked about that is that regardless of the difference of policy, and this is part of your bipartisan spirit, you were willing to recognize a, a core duty of the president that you believe the President Bush had taken and executed responsibly. And uh, I admired that, your willingness to do that without hesitation. Is there anything about your predecessor, the current president, that you could thank him for sincerely? Well, um, the answer is there are some things. I think what he's done, uh, getting the vaccine, moving has been positive. But by and large, he has been uh, a president who's decided that the way he succeeds is by dividing us. Well, I want to talk about the present crisis, uh, the COVID-19 crisis. You've said in your first 100 days, you want to see 100 million Americans inoculated. With, 100 million with, inoculations. That's 50 million Americans. Okay, 50 million Americans, 100 million inoculations in the first 100 days. Um, I follow this stuff as closely as I can. I, I don't actually know how that's going to be achieved. I don't know the process. I'm willing to wait my turn, but hand to God, I don't know what the plan is. Well, Do you know what the plan is? I know the plan I want. I know the plan I'm learning about. It's a big difference. My argument from the beginning has been here. It's one thing to get the vaccine delivered to X number of spots around the country. It's a very different thing to get the vaccine out of that tube into a syringe into somebody's arm. The vaccination, mm -hmm. that is a monumental task and is probably the single most significant um, uh, effort that takes place in the United States to distribute something around the world, around the country. And so it's gonna take a lot more than we have now. That's why I'm praying that the House passes at least, I mean, the House and Senate, before they're recessed now, pass that $90 billion, $900 billion proposal. Mm -hmm. We're going to need more. We're going to need more vaccine. We're going to need more money. We're going to need more to be able to get this distributed. But it's underway, and I believe we can get one, I, I think we can get 100 million vaccinations taking place. That's, and if some of the vaccinations, you know, require two different shots two different times. I know. And one of the things I'm pleading with the president to do now is order more of it. We stepped off the world stage. We walked away from the World Health Organization. We decided we weren't going to cooperate with any other nations in this, and participate. That's a big mistake. Walls can't stop the virus. I know you've heard from world leaders. I understand that Vladimir Putin sent you a telegram, which I didn't know you could still do, 
But what did it say? Can you share that with us? Uh, the, answer, uh, the answer is yes. It basically said, congratulations, acknowledge and I won. But there wasn't much beyond that. What happens to our relationship with Russia? There has been essentially patty cake with Russia for the last four years, regardless of the fact that we knew that they attacked our election. And we've just found out for the last eight months at least, they've been setting up base camp in both economic, financial, and national security organizations in the United States. How do you make sure they don't do this again? What is the message? How do you send that message of a brushback pitch <clears throat> I've to the Russians? I've sent the message. They'll be held accountable. They'll be held accountable. Can you give us a appetizer of what that accountability might be? Individuals, <clears throat> as well as entities, will be uh, fine. They have there's financial repercussions for what they did, ability to access a lot. And we have to invest a lot more money in cyber. We have to invest a lot more money in dealing with the ability to respond, as well as the, the ability to be more protect both private and public entities. And we haven't made that commitment. We will under my administration. Well, sir, as nice as it is to talk to you, I'm sure you're aware you're just the opening act. I do know that. And when we return, we will get to the headliner, Dr. Jill Biden. I Stick fully around. appreciate that. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome back, everybody. Joining us now is the future First Lady of the United States, Dr. Jill Biden. Dr. Biden, thanks so much for being here. Thanks. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you, too. Thank you. Um, uh, you are historic in that you will be the first First Lady with a full-time paying job. What is that and why is that important to you? Well, you know, I... Uh, it's hard for me to think of it in historic terms, I guess, because I taught all eight years while I was second lady. But uh, I'm really looking forward to being first lady and doing the uh, things that I did as second lady, carrying on with military families and education and uh, free community college, uh, cancer that, you know, Joe and I have both worked on. Mm -hmm. And then uh, and I'm going to teach as well. Now, you once said in your own memoir, the role I have always felt most at home in is Dr. Biden. Now, some people have recently taken upon themselves to question that title of yours. Do you yeah. have any reaction to those people? Yeah, that was such a surprise. It caught me by surprise <laughs> as well. I did not see that one coming. No, nor did I. And, you know, it was really the tone of it that I think that, um, you know, he called me kiddo. And one of the things I'm most proud of is, uh, is my doctorate. I mean, I worked so hard for it. And, uh, and my, you know, Joe came when I defended my thesis. And, um, but, you know. It, I got to hand her her doctorate <laughs> on the stage, University of Delaware. But, she had two master's degrees. She kept going to school all the time while teaching at night. And then what happens is I said, Jill, why don't you get a doctor to make us some real money? She gets the doctor <laughs> and gets a $2,000 raise. And, <laughs> well, but look at all the 
people who came out in support of me. I, I mean, I am so grateful, and I was, you know, I was just overwhelmed by uh, how gracious people were to me. Do you think me. it might be a little bit of a compliment that people were trying to think of something to criticize you about, and they were like, <laughs> oh, what do we got? I, I got it. Okay, I'll take it that now, way. Now, what about you? As a husband who loves this person, did you ever, you know, want to, like, get out of length of pool chain and go full corn pop on these people? <laughs> The answer is it's no. Close. The answer is no. <laughs> no, no, but, <laughs> but there's some of these anyway. Mm -hmm. It was mm -hmm. just the tone of it. I've been suppressing my Irishness for a long time. It's always a smart thing to do. Now, um, the uh, inaugural, obviously, um, is I don't know how many days away. I bet one of your staff knows. How many days away is it? What? Thirty-four. Thirty-four. Oh. Send that. Girl, a box okay. of steaks. She got it right. <laughs> so, 34 days from now, Mr. President-elect, uh, you you first ran for this job 32 years ago. Uh, I I, I got to think you've been imagining what that day was going to be like for a long time. What's it going to be now in reality? How does that match your original image? Well, the truth is, I, I hadn't thought about it in a long time, for real, because I we didn't plan on after Bo died. We had I, I decided I was. I was a professor up at the University of Pennsylvania, had an institute at the University of Delaware. And it wasn't until those folks came out of the fields down in Charlottesville that I realized something had to happen. And, uh, and what happened was quickly our granddaughters asked for a meeting. They came to see us and grandson and said, you got to run, Pop. And that's when we decided to run. But it's been, uh, it's been more a sense of, uh, how can I say it? Uh, a sense of obligation than wanting to live in the White House. It's about changing. This is not who we've been. The, yeah. the country we've been the last four years is not who we are. And we have to get back to who we are. Mm -hmm. We are a democracy. We are a democracy that has shown respect and decency and been a beacon to the rest of the world. And we were losing that. Well, what about the event itself? What, what's going to happen at the inaugural? Have, you, have those plans been solidified yet? I know that you'll be holding so, the Bible. I'll be holding the Bible. And I, have I you been working out? I was actually looking for it today. Have you been working out? Because this is the size <laughs> Honestly, of your family Bible. 1893. Yeah. 1893. Yeah. Why is your Bible bigger than mine? Do you have more Jesus than I do? No, no, I don't think so. But it's just been a family heirloom on the Biden side of the family. And, uh -huh. and every important date is in there. When my son, for example, every time I've been sworn in for anything, the date mm -hmm. is, has been on that and, yeah. and it's, it's inscribed on the Bible. Our sons, when he was sworn in as attorney general, are all the important dates in our family going way back. And it's just been a family heirloom. Yeah. Do you, uh, there, there's been speculation by some about whether your predecessor will attend, as is traditional, your inaugural. Does it matter to you whether he does? In a personal sense, no, but in a, in a sense relating to uh, history, right? history, in terms of mm -hmm. we've been the beacon of democracy for the last 200 years and the, and the peaceful transfer of power and one, the power being handed from one person to another, one party to another, is who we are. And that's the part I worry about, is how that reflects around mm -hmm. the world. And so, but that's the only standpoint from which I don't take it personally, but I do think it affects our, the view of the rest of the world as to who we are. So for the good of the country, it would be a better thing to have happen. I think so. Mm -hmm. It seems like as, as long as the, as the both of you have both been in Washington and weathered the slings and arrows of that town, mm -hmm. you're about to step into something completely different right now. 
and as you've known, people who you thought that you could rely on sometimes turn on you. What are you going to do and how will you sustain each other for the attacks that you know are coming your way? Case in point, I know you want to be as bipartisan and reach across the aisle, but as much as you don't want it to happen, you know that the people who want to make hay in Washington are going to try to use your adult son as a cudgel against you. How do you feel about that and what do you have to say to those people? Well, look, uh, I have, we have great confidence in our son. Uh, I am not concerned about any accusations been made against him. It's used to get to me. I think it's kind of foul play, but uh, look, it is what it is. And uh, he's a grown man. He is the smartest man I know. I mean, in pretty pure intellectual capacity. Um, and, uh, and as long as he's good, we're good. Um, and as a father, I understand that and, and, and I, I admire that. But I mean, in terms of your job as president, can you reach across to the aisle to people who will be using this as an attack on you when it is such a personal attack because it's about family? But if it benefits the country, yes. I really mean it. Because we know who we are. We, no, You're no, a no, better no. man than I. I'm no, not no, sure no, if no, I could do that. Don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean I'm not angry. It doesn't mean I wasn't angry, and it doesn't mean if I were back in the days in high school, I wouldn't say, come here, you know, and go around. But that, well, you have to take the high road. But, but, and because, look, there's so much at stake. And the American people, I think they can smell the phoniness, smell what's true and what's not true. And I, I just, uh, but what it does do, a couple of people who have, there's just been a disappointment. I feel mm. badly for them. I'm not being facetious. People we badly. thought were our friends. I, I feel badly, but what, what, what's happened? What, what went wrong? What's, yeah. what, 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 what's going on here? And, uh, and because, I, I, anyway, I, I just, and look at the people who stepped up. Look at all the Republicans who stepped up in this campaign, former office holders, you know, John oh. McCain's wife, people who are, went out there who were a whole public office, were major Republican figures, the former chairman of the Republican Party. Yeah. I mean, so there's a lot more good than there. But my job, I'm not kidding, Stephen, I'm going to be judged by history, whether or not I can make things better for the American people. And I will do, I will deal with anyone if what we're working on is improving the well-being of the American people. That's not phony, it's real. I swallow hard and I'll do it. We have to take another quick break, but stick around, everybody. We'll be right back with President-elect Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden. Hey, everybody. We're back with President-elect Joseph R. Biden and future First Lady Dr. Jill Biden. You will be the second Catholic president. And I don't know about you, Maybe not growing up in a Presbyterian household, but in Catholic household, <laughs> there was an icon of JFK on my wall as a child, an RFK. Um, I don't, I'm surprised more hasn't been made of the second Catholic president. It's significant, certainly, to me. JFK had to allay everyone's fears that there wasn't some pho emergency mm. phone to the Pope to tell him what to do. But it's 60 years on. I mean, is it emails now? How is the Pope going to tell you how to govern? Well, the Pope called me. He called you? Per personally called yeah. me. Really? To congratulate me. And, uh, 
And matter of fact, the, uh, I just uh, had a nice phone call with His Eminence, the new Cardinal in Washington, who said he just got back from Rome and the Pope signed a book for me he wants me to have. The Pope's been incredibly generous to our family. Yes. When, when he came to visit, we were the house Catholics, so we were the ones showing the Pope around. And Bo had just died just mm -hmm. a couple weeks earlier. Mm -hmm. And he asked to meet with the family in the hangar at the airport as he yeah. was leaving in Philly. And he came in. We had 16 family members there. And, uh, and he didn't just speak about Bo. He spoke in detail about Bo, about who he was and about family values and about forgiveness and about decency. I mean, he is a... Uh, I, I am a great admirer of His Holiness. I really am. I know you've been very open about the importance of faith in your life. And uh, Dr. Biden, I know you have a prayer partner that you picked up I do. on the campaign. <laughs> Who is that? And I've, yes. I've never had a prayer partner. What's a prayer partner? I could be your prayer partner. I'm in. <laughs> it was a woman I met. It was, um, you know, I had a real struggle with my faith after Bo died because mm -hmm. I just didn't believe he was going to die. And um, we were in South Carolina at a church and a woman came up to me and she- An, an African-American church. Yeah. And she put her hand on me and she said, Jill, I want to be your prayer partner. And I thought, prayer partner? I never heard of that. But I have to tell you, she, we call one another. She texts me a couple times a week. She actually texted me this morning. And um, we've continued to pray and pray for, you know, this country and um, people struggling. I mean, look how many people, Americans are, struggling through this pandemic it's meant it's meant a great deal to me so i figured so many people prayed for me and joe when Bo was so ill and um and now i need to pray we need to pray for other people um both of you have been so uh open and i say generous because not everyone feels comfortable sharing their grief with the public um not demonstrably, but as an example of the necessity of, of grief to heal yourself. Our country has an unaddressed grief of the 300,000 people who have died, partly because our present leadership doesn't want to acknowledge the dimension of this tragedy. Um, Mr. President-elect, what do you think the role of the president is in uh, leading the country to face loss? Well, look, uh you and I had a long discussion about this. You've had severe loss in your family, your dad, your brother. Um, and it's, uh, um, it's profound. Think of all the people this Christmas are going to sit at a table with an empty chair across the table, a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad, somebody. And um, as you know, and I'm not being solicitous, you know that people want to know People have been through it, and can I make it? Can I make it? Mm -hmm. And what you and I talked about is that I think empathy is a critically important thing. It doesn't make it easier to talk about because you've been through it. But when you've been through it and you talk to people, they go, okay, I, I know he or she understands because they've been through it. But and how do we address that right now? Because well, there is this unaddressed grief, and it, it seems to me that it's not healthy for the nation to pretend like... Uh, something no I'm worried that we're not uh, addressing it that we well, have to take a moment for the grief and what is the role of the president to do well, the that? role of the presidency is to say there grieve there is a reason to grieve you've had great loss 
But there will come a time, remind yourself, just be reminded, the time will come when you think your husband, wife, son, daughter, mom, or dad, and you're getting a smile to your lips before you get a tear to your eye. That's when you know you're going to make it. In the meantime, in the meantime, we have to let people know there's a lot of people out there who also need help outside help. Look at all the nurses and the doctors who've gone through hell of holding someone's hand. There's no family member there while they died and, are, and, and the impact it's had on them. That's why we have to invest a lot more money in mental health, a lot more money in, in all these opportunities for people to have someone to talk to. You have to talk through it. But people know if they look around and see this person made it, I can make it. We're going to get through this. It's going to be hell. And by the way, we're going to lose a lot more people. We're going to lose a lot but more I people. But I think one of the reasons that Joe was elected was because of his sense of empathy. And I think people understand that he's had a lot of tragedy and loss in, in our family, and he understands what they're going through. And, um, and I hope the American people, when we get to the White House, um, know that we feel their pain. We know what it's like. And that Joe, and that there's hope. That things are going to get better for them. That there's, you know, we're going to have uh, the vaccines. And, you know, Joe's going to work to unite the country. And, and so I hope they feel that there's real hope. We have to take uh, a quick break. Uh, but when we come back, I will ask the Bidens about their Christmas traditions. Hey, everybody, we're back here with the Bidens. Christmas is just around the corner. Mm -hmm. I, I have to ask, are, in a normal Christmas year, what are the Biden family Christmas traditions? Because in my family, the number one tradition is probably to fight over the Christmas tree about <laughs> which way the lights go, from the top to the bottom, of <laughs> the bottom of the top. And it's obviously top to the bottom, and everything else is madness. Is there, are, do you, oh, do you he's, cra he's crazy about his Christmas tree uh, because... He, you know, the Bidens have a tradition where they mix ivory snow with water. He uses my hand mixer. and uh, Ivory and snow like, like the... Like, like, like the, the turkey. Like it's snow. Yeah, Like the powdered snow. turkey. Yes. Like a powder. Yes. But you can yeah. make it look like snow. My <laughs> yeah. dad used oh. to do it in the Biden tradition, my grandfather. Uh -huh. And I swear to God, it looks like snow is falling on the tree. And Santa I Claus puts it on. I bite it every year. And then the tinsel, I mean, he's like so particular. One like strand at a time. time. You can't See? throw it on there. You can't throw it on no, there. No, no, no. What are you talking no. about? My dad, look. We, uh, <laughs> what, do you take it off again at the end of the year and iron it and put it back in the box? <laughs> no, no, no we, we get rid of it, but you can't throw it on. And it's and hard by to the way, find. Year, that's the favorite thing for the little children to do. It's throw a giant, we, we threw clumps at the Christmas no, no, tree. We have, no, We have elfdom. No. You, junior yes. elves. The way you get, yes. you got to put it on one strand at a time. And guess it's what? A There's a pecking order get, as to who gets no, to put it on. No, by the way, I get to bed, not a joke, at 3 in the morning because Santa Claus puts the snow on. Yes, Santa, Santa Claus. Oh, so that's Santa how you does. know he's been Even there. Even though they're grown children, and we right. have a tradition. Yeah. And you Every, meet Santa down there for when he does it? That's exactly right. And what happens is, the tradition <laughs> in our family is, based on youngest to oldest, including yeah. our grown children, you come down the stairs. Yeah. I go down and see Santa's There's no Santa's other way, there. obviously, youngest yeah. to oldest. You, yeah. you got it, and that's how you do it. We used to have... We have 26 people for dinner every mm -hmm. Christmas Eve for the last 20 years, our, yeah. our family. And then we'd have, but we're, this year it's going to be Jill and me sure. and 
Maybe our daughter yeah. and our well, and our son-in-law. When you are first lady, you get to make the calls on the Christmas decorations, so you can I ban <laughs> ivory snow on the trees for at least four years. Well, there you go. <laughs> I'm not doing all those trees. I just do Santa's tree, just the one. And we'll we have a 16-foot tree in our hallway. We'll hallways. do one for you, Joe. We have two trees. <laughs> one we have a lot hallway. of trees next year, sir. That's yeah. right. Oh, about next year. Yeah. Do you think this time next year, when you're both in the White House, we will have what you could call a normal Christmas? Will the country be back to normal? I believe we'll be awfully close to that, if not there. I do believe yeah. that. I think we'd be able to have, because the combination, in the first 100 days, I'm going to ask everybody to wear a mask for 100 mm -hmm. days, and where I can dictate that in federal property. I'm, I've been on with 45 governors asking them to think about it. Just 100 days. We're going to get those two, the, the uh, 100 million vaccinations out there, and we're going to get to the place we can open schools. And there's things we can do, and I think we can really, it's not going to be quick, but I think by next Christmas will be close to normal. Yeah. Well, um, Mr. President-elect, uh, Madam Soon-to-be First Lady, thanks so much for taking Thank the you. time uh, and Thank sitting you, down man. with me. It's, uh, it's my honor. and. Um, I'll uh, see you this time next year, I hope. I, I hope, hope so, so too. Yeah. I hope so too. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert. Just one more thing. If you want to see more of me, come to The Late Show YouTube channel for more clips and exclusives. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts.